Hi, this is Tom Brevoort, and you are listening to the Captain America Comic Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 122 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. This is your host, Rick Verbonis. Welcome to the show. And as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there that is mr bob lucius oh bob hello mother hello fada here i am at camp granada camp is very entertaining and they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining <laughs> You got me on that one, Rick. I I I, I spent a little time at uh, Camp Crystal Lake. Oh yeah, uh, with my friend Jason. But I I I don't know what the connection is. But Camp Granada. That, oh what... well, it's not Camp Granada connection. It's the Hello Mudda, Hello Fada. Ah. So today we are covering Captain America Volume Seven, Number One, which came out ten years ago, Bob. And this is one of the very few issues of Captain America where we see a young Steve Rogers with both his mother and his father. Plus uh, the song said hello. Mother and father. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I get it now. I get it. You're right. It is one of those rare books where we see both mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Bob, we're at episode 122. I've been, I've been trying to come up with new hellos for like 100 episodes now. I'm scraping the barrel. Uh, it you know trying to find songs is, or something that that anytime. ties in with the hello and and right. ties it in. A any anytime you sing is a good time for all. <laughs> well, that song actually was by uh, a guy by the name of uh, Alan Sherman, and it came out in August of 1963. It was kind of like a you know short little comedy song, but um, yeah, I think maybe some of our listeners may recognize it. It's a nice little ditty. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you do a lot of camps when you're uh, when you were a kid? I, I didn't. I did. I went. I did not. I did not go do a lot of camps. Uh, I went to one summer camp where uh, I was supposed to learn to swim. It was the most <laughs> horrifying experience of my life, and, and that says a lot. Um, and so that was the end of the whole camp experience for this guy. So how about you? Uh, no, not a lot of camps. I I I had a different summer experience. Uh, you know, my dad, he worked for DuPont, uh, but his passion was charter boat fishing. He had his own wow. boat. And then I was the youngest of five kids, youngest of three boys. And I was, uh, I spent from when I was 10 to 18, uh, every weekend, spring through fall as the, the first mate on my dad's charter boat. All right. So well, ahoy, uh, I, I know I spent my summers working. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, but the uh other thing too I wanted to 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 bring up today. We got a few birthdays that are celebrating for Captain America related. Uh today's birthday. Now, if you're listening when this podcast comes out, it's February eighth. Uh today's birthday would have been I don't I don't know. I can't do math real quick, but maybe 89, uh, maybe turn 89. Uh, he was born in 1914. So you do the math uh, on February 8th. And that is Bill Finger. Do you know who Bill Finger is, Bob? 
I the name rings a bell. I think it has something to do with the Batman. But I was I thought you were about to say uh, I can't put my finger on it. That would have been too obvious, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Keep, keep uh, yes, yes. Bill Finger, absolutely. Batman is probably what he's best known for. But in the Marvel world, Bob, he was the creator of the All Winners Squad. I did not know that. Yeah. And uh, he his first work was in All Winners Comics, number 11. So he was a Golden Age uh, writer, creator, and uh, had written... Um, uh, a lot of people say he he probably wrote several stories for Captain America comics. So I thought, hey, we should probably bring his name up today. Absolutely. Well done. Well done. Uh, another name to bring up today. Um, well, birthday, it was a couple of days ago, and that would be uh, Rick Remender. His birthday was February 6th. So happy birthday to Rick Remender out there. Now, why is that important? Well, you know, Rick was the writer for the story that we're covering today. Uh, he was the writer for Captain America Volume 7, which came out, uh, has a cover date of January of 2013, and he wrote that entire volume uh, and then went on to write uh, the Sam Wilson series, all-new Captain America, Sam Wilson. Um, so he's he's uh, got a lot of uh, experience with the Captain America characters, and uh, his birthday was just a couple days ago. Well, happy birthday, other Rick. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm sure he's known as other Rick <laughs> in his circles. <laughs> oh, oh, we always think of Rick for bonus, but yeah. uh, on, on this podcast, he's other Rick. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. <laughs> yeah, so we are covering today, and I say volume seven, but Marvel, you know, back when we had Alana Smith on, we we asked her about. You know what? What do what are the different volume numbers and things like that? And she said, "Well, we don't really consider volume numbers. We go by years." And I think it had something to do with the whole, you know, Captain America comics in the Golden Age, then Tales of Suspense in the Silver Age, which you know that numbering then translated into Captain America's first issue was Captain America one hundred, and then you know there's all these other restarts. Um, which one is part of the Captain America legacy, which one isn't. So they just go by numbers. But me, I go by volume seven. You know how else does? Marvel.fandom.com. They they call it volume seven. So I'm kind of sticking with that. Yeah, I think it makes sense. You know, I, I like to use the volumes. I think using the the, the publication year or, or, you know, the first issue, it just doesn't, it's, it's, it's cumbersome, I think. Yes. Quite honestly. Yes. So. And so we we struggled with this, Bob, as far as what new long tail story do we want to do over the course of several podcasts. Now, last year when we did this, we we picked you know the road to the captain and then the captain, that Mark Grunewald story where Steve has his he has to give up his uniform. And it was a you know an awesome story that we did, you know, three issues per episode. And don't worry, listeners, we're not going to do that here. Um, and so we thought, well, what's another long story that we want to do over the course of several episodes? And we decided to go with this one. Now, the reason we decided to go with this one is actually multifaceted. Um, number one, it's the 10-year anniversary. So we thought, hey, perfect time to have kind of a retrospect and look back on on this story 
and um, maybe maybe we would appreciate it uh, a different this you know this the second time around or third time or whatever it is for you, and then uh, but more importantly, um, when we had Jackson Col- Jackson and Colin on last episode, and if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it. it those are the the current writers of the the Captain America Sentinel of Liberty series. When we asked them about uh, you know upcoming story arcs and things. Um, Dimension Z is going to be a big part of this upcoming Cold War crossover between Steve's book, Sentinel Liberty, and Sam's book, um, Symbol of Truth. And so Dimension Z is going to be important. And that is a big, this is where it's introduced in this story we're going to start today. And then also Ian Rogers, who is the adoptive son of Steve Rogers. And that is also uh, uh, a dynamic that is introduced in this issue and moving on throughout this entire story. So for those reasons, um, tying in with the current Captain America story arc uh, and the upcoming Cold War, we thought, hey, let's let's take a trip back 10 years and, and revisit this this story. Yeah. And for, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Rick, you, you got me to read this a second time around after having read it when it first came out. And, and as I told you, it hits differently uh, that second time around, especially when you have the luxury uh, of time. And now you can read the whole arc uh, in one sitting, if you're so inclined, rather than having to wait, you know, for each book to come out. And so you can follow, follow it through, or just do it along with this podcast uh, episodes. Mm -hmm over the next 10 months. But in either case, you'll get a lot out of it this time. I guarantee it. And it will set you up well for a better understanding what's uh, what's coming down the pike for the current series. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and for our regular listeners, like they know, they know how we work. New podcast episode comes out every Wednesday, just like New Comic Day. First Wednesday of the month, we have a guest on the show. Second Wednesday of the month is when we continue uh, a the, the long tail story. Like I said, last year was the captain. So so you can count on the second Wednesday, starting this month in February for the for the next nine months after this, we will do Castaway in Dimension Z. I just like the way that sounds. Yeah, it's kind of cool, right? Yeah, it's kooky. Yeah. Um, I guess we could probably just um, jump into this, but I I also want to mention too, Bob, um, next episode, I know we don't really talk about the end, but next episode, you know, it's going to be the day after Valentine's Day and our Valentine treat to our listeners is we're going to do a top 10 list and it's the top 10 romantic love interests of Captain America. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm all about the romance. Uh, we, yeah, indeed. Uh, and and <laughs> we, we have, we have people uh, from our Facebook group who are, are voting on, on theirs. Uh, we'll have people who are going to email and, and call in and, and tell us who, why they pick who they are. Um, but there's a lot to choose from here. You might say, well, really, do we have 10? Well, yeah, we do. Um, especially when you consider we're saying Captain America, not Steve Rogers. So we could say the, uh, you know, Sam Wilson's love interest. Right. Or Bucky for that matter. <sighs> That's right. Yeah. That is a great, 
addition on that. Yeah. yeah. So we could have a lot of fun. Who would it be? Do you think it would be his cat? <laughs> could be. <laughs> It'd be mine. <laughs> Ash, are you going to call in and say, <laughs> my vote for Bucky Barnes' favorite love interest is his cat? And I, I why, why, why I can't remember his cat's name right now. Yeah. It's, oh gosh, what is it? But never underestimate the love between a man and his cat. Yeah. It's cats. Is it, is it, is it Starfire? It's no, nothing like that. It's right? Roxy. It's just, I, I, can't, yeah, I can't remember the name of the I cat. I've drawn a blank on it as well. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah. So come back next episode for that. That should be a lot of fun. And I know what you're all thinking. Why did you wait like uh, over 110 episodes to do your next top 10 list? Like way back in episode nine, we did top 10 villains, not named Red Skull and had a lot of fun with that. Why do we wait so long, Bob? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, you know, it takes the staff a lot of time to do the research for us. Yeah. You know, all, oh all crap, we have to do research. <laughs> this is why we need a staff. Yeah, <laughs> my staff and my cat. So yeah. No. Oh, all right. So let's get into this series uh, and this issue. Should I should I read the uh, the solicitation for this one? I would be disappointed if you didn't. Oh, okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thrust into a bizarre, inhospitable world, far from home. The all-new, high-adventure, mind-melting, tough-as-nails, sci-fi, pulp-fantasy-era of Captain America is now. With no country and no allies, what's left for the Sentinel Liberty to protect? The saga of Dimension Z begins here. Gosh, that sounds exciting. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Which part did you like best, mind melting or mm. pulp fantasy? You know, I, I'm torn between. I, mean, I like a little pulp fantasy, but I do like my mind melting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that is tough as nails. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, who are the creators? Well, we talked about Rick Remender uh, as the the writer of this. John Romita Jr. is the penciler. Now, John Romita Jr. You know, Cap fans are familiar with John Romita Senior. Right. I mean, John Romita Sr. has done so much uh, in the Cap mythos, you know, he, dating back to the 50s. Right. I mean, we, we we just covered not too long ago the Captain America of, of the 50s story. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, that is in episode 114, uh, where John Romita, you know, he's, you know, a golden age artist, but he obviously you know, made a name for himself in, in the silver age. Right. And he's best known for amazing Spider-Man, but he also did his share of Captain America stories. But here we are with his son, who is a prolific artist all by himself, who, who has been at this point in, in 2013 had been, you know, been around for decades doing, doing artwork. Um, but this is his first time on Captain America. Yeah, and you know, and I got I gotta say, um, 
I hadn't, I hadn't seen anything from Romita before uh, the junior before uh, I saw his art on this book. And, you know, it's a little jarring when you come from, from uh, an Epting, right? Um, it, it takes a bit of getting used to. And I think uh, maybe for a lot of folks, um, that was a hard transition. And, and, and that may be why um, I didn't give it really it's due consideration the first time I read it. I, you know, the same thing happened to me with, uh, with the miniseries Truth, Red, White, and Black, right? Where, uh, you know, the art style mm -hmm. maybe throws you off the first time you read it. But when you go back and you read through it again, um, it gets through loud and clear. So uh, it was a tough transition, but I think it does a good job for this, for this story. So I'm looking forward to uh, diving in. Yeah, I, I agree. It is certainly a different style than Steve Epting. Mike Perkins, uh, Luke Ross, uh, Jackson Geis, uh, a lot of those, you know, artists from from that volume, that first volume that um, Brubaker did. And then, of course, when he came back right after for volume six and he did uh, with Steve Mc, McNiven. Uh, yeah, this is a completely different looking art style. And it, when you add Claus Jansen as the inker. You know, a lot of people might recognize that name from his run with Frank Miller on Daredevil uh, or with Frank Miller on Dark Knight Returns. So it is, is you know, a more sketchy style, if you will. Um, his inking is is probably very different from, say, like a John Beatty uh, or maybe a Scott Hanna. Um, so it, it it definitely has a different look. And then when you add, you know, Dean White's coloring, Joe Karamagov's lettering, and then this is edited by Tom Brevoort. I mentioned before, this has a cover date of January 2013. It actually had a release date of November 21st in, in 2012. So if if you're playing, if your mind's playing tricks on you, are like, well, I remember where I was and I don't remember being January. I was, it was right before Thanksgiving. Well, it was, but it had a cover date of January 2013. Uh, do, do you, does that sometimes happen to you, Bob, where you, you're like, oh, I remember where I was when I was reading this or something like that? Never. No? No. Okay. I have a really bad memory, Rick. Um, you know, it's something that's plagued me my whole life. So, um, you know, people say, oh, you know, experiences, not things. That's not me. Because uh, <laughs> my experiences, uh, I don't have a good memory of them. So I never have things like that where like, oh, I remember when this happened at this place or this. <laughs> I'm sure that goes over really well with the wife. Yeah, you well, it doesn't actually. It's a it's a point of a point of tension, but uh, it's the way it is. Mm. It is. Yeah. Well, we're all built differently. I I can yeah. remember when I started reading this story. I you know it's one of those things where I can remember where I was. It was in my old house. I was uh in, in my my bed. I you know in my nightstand. I had the lamp next to me, and I remember I had a, a few of these because I I like this especially when there's like a new story arc, I like to maybe get a few issues together and just kind of read them all at the same time. Especially when you're back then I was collecting more stories. Right. So it made yeah. sense to like read a group of this series and then read a group yeah. of this series. Right. So that's, that's what I tended to do. Um, and then I, I, I was, I think texting with my friend and uh, uh, John, John Sewell, you know, friend of the show. And he, he, I, he said, uh, I'm not sure you're going to like this because he knows how big a cap fan it was. And he was like, mm, I'm not sure you're going to like this. And I think because he maybe felt a little jarring 
you know, from yeah. from yeah. following Brubaker or Steve Evening, or, may, or maybe he just thought I would. I, I don't know. But, you know, sometimes you get that, you know, that bad review of a movie and then you go mm-hmm. in and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're already prepped. Right. Yeah. I think Your I was already prepped. Lowered. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was already prepped to to not like this story. Yeah. Um, Especially following Ed Brubaker and, you know, that amazing story, because it was it was, you know, that story was, you know, it, it introduced Winter Soldier and. And then Cap died and, you know, you had the replacement Cap and it was more a super soldier than superhero. And it was more about espionage and shield. And whereas this, this is completely different. And yeah. uh, it was a 180. And I, and I kind of think you had to do that. Yeah, it did. It did. You know, it was bold, right? Uh, very bold of the creative team uh, to make some choices that um, maybe were unexpected by a lot of readers and, and maybe not welcome at first uh, by a lot of readers, but, but I, I respect the fact that they wanted to shake things up and try something a little bit different. Yeah. You know, I want to shake things up and try something a little different too, Bob. I want to, this is, I, yeah, this is personal stuff. Rick. I, don't, I, don't really, <laughs> I don't need to hear. Well, you know, I'm wearing the Captain America underwear. <laughs> uh, <sighs> it's Tuesday after all. Yeah. Uh, so no, I want to start at the end, Bob. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I want to start at the end. And I, when I say that, I, I don't mean the end of the story, at the end of the comic. I want to start in the letter column because uh, now there obviously there's no letters in about this story yet because readers haven't gotten that far. But the whole the whole page is written by Rick Remender, and he talks about why he took on the, this job of, of writing for Captain America. Yeah. You know, Bob, let's, let's change things up. How about, you know, you want to read this? Yeah. I've been, I've been practicing reading, so I'll, I'm going <laughs> to give it a shot. Excellent. Let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's hear Bob. All right. Bob Lucia's take on yeah. Rick Remanda's letter. Yeah. I read good. Okay. Uh, I do want to say, Rick, I do. I, a memory just popped into my gourd. Yeah. Uh, what is something it? Something that I'd forgotten. This volume, or at least the first, I don't know, 10, 10 or 11 issues of it, were the only comic books I ever had a subscription to. Really? Where yeah, were you? Where, where it actually got mailed to me. No, I wasn't anywhere special. I was still, I was living in, uh, in California at the time. And, but for some weird reason, I don't know why, because there was a comic book store and I used to go there every week and get get my poll but for some reason i ordered a subscription to this series and i got it in the mail yeah you know what the hell was i thinking was it were were they protected or did they come damaged no of course they always came damaged yeah so um i mean i I, you know i have another set but i still have the ones i got Uh, Uh some of them are still in the shrink wrap you know that they came in but in any case all right so letters to a living legend What an incredible honor it is to be entrusted with continuing the legacy of the star-spangled Sentinel of Liberty. As you'd imagine, for a big fan of Captain America, this is a dream job. I am, and it is. On top of that, to have legendary masters of sequential art, John Romita Jr., Klaus Jensen, and Dean White by my side, it's total craziness. I'm humbled by this opportunity and the greatness I'm surrounded by. 
The first issue of Captain America I read was issue 298. I bought it at a 7-Eleven along with some amazing Spider-Man comics and maybe an issue of Secret Wars. And it came with me to Camp Geronimo in Northern Arizona where I was spending a few weeks at summer camp. It was one of those books you reread over and over again because, well, while it was really great, it was also the only thing you had to read. But it left a genuine impression on me. I was immediately engaged and invested in Steve Rogers and his eternal struggle against a crazy old Nazi named the Red Skull. When I got no. back home. <laughs> nicely, nicely articulated, Bob. Thank you. I, I really was striving to alliterate that. Yes. When I got back home, I saved up all my money and went out and bought every issue of Captain America going back through the J.M. DeMatteis, Mike Zeck era to the Roger Stern, John Byrne era, two of my favorite runs me too and it was the second long box i ever filled second only to my sacred uncanny x-men collection captain america was the character all the other superheroes turned to for well almost anything but what was cooler still cap didn't have any eye blasts he couldn't fly he didn't have any nuclear superpower glowy hands nor could he whistle through time he was just an incredibly noble brave, honest, and seemingly fearless man with a big heart and a super soldier serum infused steel fist. He's the guy you want watching your back in a fight. The guy you turn to. The guy you want in charge of things. Steve Rogers is a patriotic soldier directed by a personal ethical compass, belief in the American dream and faith in his fellow man. He's clever, roguish, quick with a sly look and a droll comment. He can punch out bad people and jump through glass. He's the person you wish you were. He's not superhuman. He's just the pinnacle of our natural potential. He's like us. He's vulnerable. If he gets shot, it opens him up. It hurts. If he falls out of a plane without a parachute, he dies. He isn't Superman. He has limits, and he must overcome them with smarts and tenacity, more than brute strength. He is fighting for the safety of humanity freedom, liberty, and justice for all. He believes a perfect world without war or strife is a possibility worth fighting for. He will no doubt spend his entire life protecting people from the endless sea of chaos that surrounds the Marvel Universe. This is the hero I want to write. There have been many great errors, many legendary chapters in the life of Steve Rogers. But while rereading back issues, it was one error that spoke to me more than the others. It was an era of Captain America I hadn't read since I was the manager of a comic book shop in Phoenix, Arizona, back in 1993. It was when Jack Kirby came back and, and it entirely took over the book. He wrote it, drew it, and even edited it for a time. It was 100% Jack Kirby at one of the most interesting periods of his career towards the mid-1970s. It was so imaginative and insane, yet always stayed so true to the character. All the crazy stuff seemed classic. It just seemed like it had always been there. I can't imagine an era of Captain America where Arnim Zola didn't exist. When I reread Zola's first appearance, it struck me just how interesting this character was and how many ideas immediately sprung to mind. That's usually a good sign that the character has legs. Then there was the tone of what Jack was doing in that era. 
a strange mixture of espionage, science fiction, and pure psychedelic imagination. So I wanted to try to do something similar with my own spin, of course. Tonally, you can expect something that is inspired by that era while also infusing some of the soap opera in the very hard times. I like to put my characters through. High adventure, tough as nails, mind-melting sci-fi pulp fantasy with constant high stakes, real velocity, and fast action. After the events in our first story, our hero won't resemble any other era that has come before, but his fiber and how he earned it will shine through. As they say, a bold new era begins now. So, we all have a little change to adjust to. But change is good. It's exciting. It's how we keep these iconic and long-running books fresh. After a legendary run by Ed Brubaker, one of my favorite writers, it seemed like a big change was the only way to outrun the shadow he cast. And in the end, the direction was the thing that got me the most excited to write. Steve Rogers, Captain America is a man who may very well live forever due to the super soldier serum. And he's going to discover that he must let go of the past in order to move forward, in order to serve not only his country, but himself. Rick Remender. Nicely done, Bob. Very nicely done. I, I thought it was important to start with this because it really sets the tone for not only this issue, but, you know, the whole story and how Rick is embracing being the writer for this series as, as a fan himself. And quite frankly, he sounds like he gets him. He sounds like he gets the character. He sure does. Right. And he's done his research. And I, and I like the fact that he, he honed in on that second Kirby error and, and, and understood instinctively perhaps and creatively what some of the real strengths of, of that second coming of Kirby um, brought to Captain America and decided to use that as a launching pad for this, uh, this arc. Yeah. I, well said, I, I thought exactly the same thing. Uh, and, and Zola is such an interesting character and it, it really is hard to believe that he hasn't been around since the, you know, the beginning, uh, only been around since the, you know, the mid to late seventies. Um, and he, yet he is one of Steve's, I'd say, you know, top 10 arch enemies right um and and for those who who didn't catch uh the episode where we covered captain america zero which was the the relaunch of the the two new series that are currently out there um take a listen to episode 85 where we go through uh cap zero panel by panel but but zola is the big uh villain in that that issue um and then we also well if I'm going to be plugging previous issues, uh, well, if I'm going to be plugging previous episodes, I probably should bring up the fact that um, we did cover the introduction of Arna Zola by Jack Kirby in episode 37, where we covered uh, Captain America 208 through 210, and that was from 1977. And Doughboy. Oh, yeah, 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 him too. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's talk about the cover to this. Um, what an interesting cover uh, by John Romita Jr. It is 
a a full body of Captain America in full uniform and kind of an awkward position. And he's holding his shield in an awkward way. He's coming down, almost looks like a, a trash heap, right? And the landscape is very eerie. There's mountains and then there's like a little castle of some sort in the background. And the silhouette, I mean, you see Cap in his colors, but you also see him in a lot of shading in the front of him, including his face, almost like they're trying to hide which Captain America is this. And and, and keep in mind, we are coming off of the Ed Brubaker one. So, you know, could it be Bucky Cap? We don't know. Right? I mean, whatever. I don't know why they, they did it in shade, but I think they were trying to be mysterious. Um, the logo itself is different. It's a very uh, it's a it's a new logo. The it says Captain America, uh Captain on top of America, and the font for America is probably three times the size of the font of Captain. And then it has that horizontal red, white, and blue stripe going through America. And then, of course, there's a very large number one. Um, and I think they were trying to make a point of that. Now, back then, Bob, they were doing this something called Marvel Now. And that was something where they were trying to almost like, you know, have like a, they weren't rebooting, but they were trying to make it accessible for readers to kind of jump on and find new stories. Now, I also want to set the stage of what was going on outside of the comic book world, but in, in the MCU universe. Okay. So during this time, um, you know, the previous year, Captain America, the first Avenger came out. So Captain America was a hit. Captain America was huge at this point. And so, they wanted to start a new series. So for those who, you know, come back from the Captain America movie and they want to try something new, um, here you go. Now, he was writing this probably, like if this came out in November of 2012, I'm sure he was probably less than a year after this movie came out was, was writing the you know the first few stories for for this this series um so that was the other thing that was going on at that time yeah now, a lot of people don't know rick little trivia there were actually 342 variant covers for this first issue of this <laughs> volume yeah i think uh, it's, it's a little slight exaggeration but eh, it sure felt that slight. way it sure yeah. felt that way it sure did there were a lot yeah how many do you have i i have i think all but I don't know, maybe one, one of them. So, <laughs> you have 341. I have 341 of them. Yeah. That's a hell of a long box right there. <laughs> it is. It is. This was a period of my life when I was really into those variant covers and particularly for that, for the number one in the series, right? Because they invite, I mean, they, they were all different and unusual and different yeah. artists and yeah, as variant covers are. And uh, I just couldn't say no. Well, I have no problem with that. <laughs> I am not I'm a, I'm a completist yeah. in the fact that I want every issue of a series. Yeah. But I am not a completist where I want to have every cover of the series. Yeah, see I'm the opposite. Like uh I I I have no interest in being a completionist for like a, a whole volume or whatever, but if there's a particular uh like then I I just yeah, when when it's like oh I got to have every every variant cover for this. 
then I'm all in. I'm Interesting. All in. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's obsessive. Yeah. Well, no, there's just different ways of uh, being a yeah. collector and, yeah. and yours is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, at this at this time, I, I don't know if you've noticed this. Right. But I mean, it, that's not as common. Now, we, you know, there's maybe, you know, three, four variant covers. Right. Or incentive covers and stuff like that. But during mm -hmm. this time, man, they were coming out with like a lot of variant covers. Remember, like there were so many for Mm, you know, number yeah. 25 you know and when sam was introduced as, as cap and there were mm -hmm. so many for this you know issue and uh, man yeah yeah back when i had my store um in the the mid to late 2000s um because i think i had i had the store i don't know seven years something like that and then i had to sell it but um it was during the Brubaker run is when I had my, my series, my store. And back then they would do like one in 10 variants, uh, one in 25. Right. Yeah. One in 100. Yeah. You something like that. And, uh, you know, that was tough for a retailer. Like you, mm -hmm. you had to play the numbers. Like, let's say if you want to do a one in 100, right. But you normally only sell 70 copies of that book. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, to get that one in 100, I have to buy 30 more copies of that book. So to do that, I'm going to have to sell this one in 100 incentive cover at a high price to get my money back for those 30 copies that are just going to sit on my shelf because they're not returnable. Right. And yeah. and that's how you did it. The, the motto was if it was a one in 10, eh, you sold it for 10 bucks. If it was yeah. one in 25, 25 bucks. If it was one in 100, 100 bucks. Yeah. But sometimes you had to take into consideration again how many copies you're going to be sitting on yeah. on the shelf to make it, you know, to make that. Right. Little, little inside baseball for us yeah. comic shop guys. Yeah. Well, that's good. You know, that's important because a lot of us, you know, complain about how much they charge for those incentives, or at least I did back then. But, it's nice to know what the other side of the coin, you know, what the, what the seller has to endure. Indeed. To All right. So let's cash. get to this. Let's get to this, Bob. All right. So we, we start um, on the opening, uh, opening page. Now it's not a dramatic splash page or anything like that. In fact, it has five panels and it's Manhattan in the lower East side in 1926. And we see just outside uh, a busy street in a tenement building, and we hear some yelling going on. And then we kind of zoom in. We're, we're from the outside, and if you're, if you're peeping in a window, you can see uh, an argument going on. But you only see the man yelling, and you don't see anything else. And then you zoom in, and you zoom in, you come in through the window, and you get into the kitchen, and you see... The man is yelling at a woman who is cowering. And then underneath the kitchen table, that's a young boy cowering with his hands over his ears. Salvatore put us on the street unless it, unless I what? Draw gold from the gutters? You have to find work, Joseph. You think I'm not out there trying every day? That new building go, going up on Jefferson. That foreman hates Irish. How many times will you make me tell you? 
The world's always working against you. It's never your own doing. You sound more like your father. Every... And he slaps her. Do you hear what you're saying to me? Trying to break my heart. Making my boy think I'm some kind of laggard. How dare you compare me to that man? Since we got into this country, it's all been on me. Everything. All on me. You think the pennies you bring in from that garment factory add up to anything? You just, you only see what you want, Sarah. Maybe that foreman would give you a chance if you got to the job site in the morning with, with clear eyes. And he slaps her again. And blood comes out. Where do you, you just, you just better get into the other room. Watch what you're suggesting. What I'm suggesting, Joseph, is if you get to work in the morning, sober. And he raises his fist to punch her, but she stands and she just holds her ground. Damn your nerves, Sarah. I should, I, and then a look of realization comes across his face of what he's doing and what he's about to do and he grabs his jacket and he storms out of the apartment and then at that point Sarah looks under the table where Steve was hiding with tears in his eyes and hands on his ears come out dear it's okay why why, why didn't you just stay down mama because and you listen close, Stephen. You always stand up. All right, Bob, I'm going to pause here. All right. That's, that's a heavy scene. It is a heavy scene. Very, very heavy scene. That's, that's three pages of, um, you know, an argument, domestic squabble, domestic abuse, a child being traumatized. Thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know my thoughts. Uh, you know this 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 idea of of Steve's relationship with his father. Uh, you know his his mother's relationship with Steve has been touched on over and over again. But there's only a few instances uh, where Steve's father has been mentioned, and mm -hmm. uh, and and over time that relationship has evolved. Right? We heard um, you know early on that he he was an alcoholic. Right. Um, but this story takes that a step further, right? And turns him into an abusive alcoholic. And, mm -hmm. and you know, my feeling, you know, we've talked about this before on other, in other episodes that um, I don't like that. I think, I think it took it too far. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was necessary. And, uh, and, and if I'm being honest, I just, I think it's a little cliche. Mm. Yeah. I think we, we touched on it. We did the, the top 10 other retcons. Yeah. Right. I don't remember if it was right. part one or part two, but mm -hmm. you could check those out. Episodes 84 and 89, uh, where we kind of explore the, the, the lesser known or lesser discussed retcons through Captain America's continuity. And this was one, I think we both agreed it was kind of egregious. It was, it was a little much. Um, mm. It was almost like Rick Remender was saying, okay, not only was he poor, not only, 
you know, did his, did his, was he orphaned and his mom, you know, died on his deathbed and he was taking care of her. That was enough, but no, Rick was like, and his dad was an abusive alcoholic. Yeah. He had to overcome that too. Um, so I'm not, yeah, I'm not a fan of this. And it, you, you won't hear me very often saying in this story that I, I don't like something. Uh, yeah. I, in fact, I, I like a lot this particular thing. I'm, I don't know. I, it, it set with me wrong. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe it's cause I'm a dad, right? You're a dad. Yeah. I'm a dad. And, and I'd like to think that, um, you know, my son, could grow up to be a good man with the same qualities as Steve Rogers and, uh, and get that in a positive way from dad's influence, even though, you know, his dad died young when Steve was young right. and, he, and he was left, you know, with his mom as his sole caregiver. But, um, you know, early on, uh, you know, it was, it was acknowledged that his, his dad drunk, had drank, drunk, drank, had, you know, yeah, I think it, it maybe once or twice, but, um, but I don't think it was a big deal. I, I I don't think it was a big thing. I think that was also something that was kind of retconned later on. It was, right. Yeah. Um, but it also, you know, those earlier stories made it seem like Steve had a good relationship with his dad. Remember, his dad smelled of applesauce. applesauce. And, yeah. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and um, and this took it in a different direction. I, I, yeah. I mean, as I said, I, I just thought it was unnecessary. Yeah. And it's a heavy scene to read and certainly a heavy scene to act out. But all right, let's get to, to the next page. All right. Then we cut to a really interesting image of a an airliner, looks like some sort of plane, you know, large plane that is on fire and going straight down, like straight down. It's, it's, it's really impressive. But on the outside of the plane, we see Captain America holding on for dear life. He's got his shield halfway in the hull. And he's looks like he's climbing towards the cockpit, uh, fighting against all odds. Now, this is something right here, right now, we know is different from the Ed Brubaker series, right? The Ed Brubaker Captain America didn't do this type of thing. Like, you know, he he was more street level, whereas this is more super heroic. You know, I don't know. That's my initial right. thought. No, I think you're right. I think I think Brubaker like imbued a sense of uh, not entirely, but a sense of realism in the yes. action, like what <clears throat> what the human body was capable of. Right. I mean, of course, Steve is at the pinnacle of of that potential, but. But I think he still tried to keep it in the realm of, you know, reality, whereas, you know, this really is superhuman performance, um, a superhero performance. So, yeah, no, I think you're right there. And also, I, I want to point out this layout is kind of weird, Bob, where it's not quite a double page splash because I'm, I'm, I'm holding my physical copy here. And. The, it's almost like a normal two pages, except the page on the left, kind of five to 10% of it bleeds onto the next page. So it's, uh, it's an unusual layout. I hadn't seen this before, but on the left, you have three panels that are completely vertical. 
you know, top to bottom. Then on the right, it's laid out more like a typical comic where you have six panels that are kind of more like, you know, two, one, one, two type of thing. <clears throat> but the ones on the left are really cool looking the way the layout is and you're zooming in on, on Captain America in each one of these three panels as the, the fiery uh, air airplane is, is going down and is looking to inevitably look like it's about to crash. Wind soars, adrenaline surging. Enough to jolt a dead man to waltz. Need the help, as long as I don't pass out. Pain, the shattered left hand screaming at me. It has no business maintaining a grip on a B-52 and a dead drop. Thank the adrenaline. Lunatic calls himself the Green Skull, a borrowed persona that strikes a personal chord. A maniac hippie ranting that the only way to save the earth is to kill off mankind. Stop this plane in the next 30 seconds, or Manhattan will test his theory. And then we zoom in to the cockpit, and there's a, a heavily padded man in the, in the seat. And he does. He has a, a green skull. And it's, a, it's kind of like looks like a, you know, a five-cent version of it, right? It's, it's just a kind of makeshift. Yeah, it's definitely a mask, you know. Right. Cosplay worthy. Are you ready to have your minds blown? This is for real, man. The one big ride. All that sticky, microscopic plant matter drenching the cancerous bleeder's skin. Mankind will serve as fertile soil for sweet mother Gaia's vibrant vegetation. And then we see Cap bursting in through the cockpit window. And coming in with a kick into the side of the pilot. Weeks without a break. But that's the work. You suck it up, you get it done. And then there's a, we didn't see, but there's a, looks like a co-pilot there. And he's got a, a, a pistol aimed at Cap's face while the, the pilot he kicked out is holding onto his neck from behind. You're far too late, Prince Protector of Pollution. Now, Bob, that's going to be my new nickname for you. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Have a taste of the good green for yourself. And he fires, but Cap kind of ducks and he hits the other guy. And the green good, the good green, as he calls it, uh, wow, it creates a reaction in him where his his body all of a sudden starts sprouting branches coming out. And he's screaming. His howl. Agony. Proof this maniac's a mega fertilizer works. A reminder of what happens to a million people if you fail. Millions of screams. And he punches them away. Aim the plane away from people. No better option left. And then he hits something that I guess I'm, I'm assuming it's some sort of um, automatic pilot maybe? He puts his shield on his back and he goes and he grabs a, a parachute and he also grabs the guy who shot him or shot at him. After three days fighting through his Amazonian eco-fortress, 
I've got a strong urge to leave him. Get your fastest hands off me. Let me. But that's not the right thing. You're dooming this green world to the squalid brown of mankind's consumptions of convenience. Preach it, brother. <laughs> Is that what we do every day, Bob? Is that our, <laughs> that's it. we're all consumers that's of convenience? It. Yep. He just, uh, he just summarized my university course in a nutshell there. <laughs> Today, the right thing is a hard pledge. He pulls the pistol. They never do appreciate the leniency. Die, oligarch pig! The cap just punches him in the face with his left hand. The shattered hand grumbles. A small price to shut him up. And then we cut down to uh, New York City, and there is this uh, a woman sitting on the edge of her convertible car with her legs crossed and she's talking to a police officer who's writing her a ticket how would you describe this young lady bob she is clearly uh heading out for a good time we're just coming home from one uh she's wearing a very very short uh purple cocktail dress that is cut uh -huh. quite low with some, uh -huh. uh, looks like some strappy uh, high heels. Yeah, mm. and her, her hair is looking uh, rather fine. Mm -hmm. Does she have any other qualities you want to point out, Bob? <laughs> very nice knees. Very, <laughs> very, very, very. Oh, very that's nice true. Knees. Nice knees, yeah. She's got huge tracts of land. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get ready, officer. The guy I'm meeting, he's so cute. You didn't think to leave the house earlier? Fourth of July, traffic's more dependable than the fireworks. Please, I'm late. I'm going to blow it with him. Pickens are slim out there. It's not like strong, sexy men are falling from the sky. And sure enough, Bob, there's a strong, sexy man falling from the sky. It's sure Captain is. America in a parachute holding the unconscious ne'er-do-well in his other hand. Officer. Contact the Avengers. There's a biological weapon on board that plane. Plane? What plane? Give it a second. It'll be hard to miss. And then this fiery plane lands into the, the water. Hold him at gunpoint till they arrive. I'm late. And he runs off. And he says, I've got one shield liaison who won't be left waiting. And there's Sharon. There's Sharon Carter. What what outfit is she wearing, Bob? She's wearing the white. Uh, what are they? Is it a jumpsuit? Track yeah, suit? it's a jumpsuit. That? It's a jumpsuit. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, white all, shield. We all yeah. do a jumpsuit. Yeah. I like the jumpsuit. Yeah. That's all you got? <laughs> and she's wearing a holster. No, I got distracted. I was thinking, man, man. Uh, Halloween this year. Maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> and she's looking at her watch and she's looking and she says, you're late. Lucky it's your birthday or I'd have to reprimand you. And he comes up and he kisses her on the cheek. I say that's a great reason to do some reprimanding to me. Dear God, was that an attempt at sexual innuendo, Rogers? Hmm. Maybe. No good? No. But the fact it's so hard for you makes you all the more irresistible. 
And then he taps uh, his belt buckle and she taps her wrist and they're both like glowing yellow discs. And then they change into their civvy. So basically it's a hologram. I don't know. It seems like, yeah, one of those hologram thingies that yeah, she so likes he, to have. So, you know, they're both uh, dressed professionally now. Here, before I forget, what is it? A colorfully festooned box with a surprise inside? You must have had presents back in ye, ye olden times. Fire and the, the warmth of a woolly mammoth's pelt were gifts enough. But thanks, Sharon. You, you really shouldn't have. Not every day your boyfriend turns 90. Why are you so far off schedule? And they're walking down into the subway. Tending garden. So how will we be celebrating my golden senility? Shield's been monitoring a subway car traveling an ancient line abandoned 80 plus years ago. Now you're just trying to make me feel old. Low-hanging fruit. We have no idea where the line goes or who is responsible for the car's operation. Earlier today, pedestrians began arriving. Nefarious. Likely, an operative learned the password to get down without making a stink. Password is still clean. Only one way to find out. And so they go through this door and down in the subway and there's uh two armed guards in front of another door and it's dark but there's a spotlight there and the password she says to him is i'm jim morrison i'm dead who's jim morrison bob uh the lead singer of the doors this is the end my own all right i'm not gonna do that again <laughs> and the uh the guard says back to her, the hawk is howling. And he taps the button. I have no idea what that means, Bob. Do you recognize that at all? I, I sure don't. I, yeah. Maybe it's just jibber jabber. Well, interesting enough, Bob, I just Googled it. The hawk is howling is the sixth studio album by the Scottish post-rock band Mogwai released in September of 2008. Mogwai? You don't say. I I just did. You did indeed. Yeah. Okay, distant. What's bothering you? Don't like walking into anything without knowing the likely outcome. Is that why you've been avoiding talking about us? I'll admit it, Sharon. Your proposal caught me off guard. In my day, it was the man who asked. If I wanted, waited for you to ask, I'd be 90 as well. Now, hold on, Bob. She asked. She proposed to him? Was this off camera or was this like, did that happen in Ed Brubaker's run at the very end or something? I'm just I, I forgetting. See, I don't recall it. Okay. Yeah. Well, apparently she asked him to marry him. All right. Even the greatest tactician can't see the future. Life is a risk. I'm not asking you to stop being Captain America, but I'd like to spend my life with Steve Rogers. And then they get off the elevator and the guard there says, only room for one. Uh, I'm sorry. The train. Only room for one more. I'll go. We'll talk tonight. Steve, I love. Come on. Hurry up. She's right. I'm disappearing into the uniform. But marriage? 
might not be so bad. It forced me to have a life again. I sometimes forget how to be a normal person. I've been the soldier for so long. Might be there's no turning back. So he goes in there to the, the, I guess, you know, subway car. And there's no room. Everybody's seated. So he, uh, he basically grabs onto the pole. And then all of a sudden, like handcuffs come out to everybody who's there. And they're not only just his handcuffs, but like around his shoulders and everything. And it makes a sound, Bob. Kitchen. Steve? And Sharon seems like maybe there's something wrong. And then there's an electric sizzle. Zero to impossibly fast. Distracted. Bad wake-up call. Deafening boom. The sound barrier breaking. And it looks like this, this subway car is just kind of like going incredibly fast and just almost almost like back to the future with the with the car right it just kind of goes into this electric lightning thing and then just disappears that's kind of right. what i'm getting here that's that's the, the sense i'm getting as well and it makes a loud noise <laughs> brilliant light blinding sight returns with bad news and what do we see here bob this is incredible. It's like a deep canyon and uh, everything's rocky and brown and the sky looks filled with orange and uh, muted colors. It's dreary. And in the center of this canyon is this uh, very odd uh, structure. It looks like, uh, you know, something you'd find in ancient Persia or Assyria, right? And uh, the hanging gardens of Babylon or something with with walkways rounding up in a, in, a, in a circular fashion, higher and higher and higher until they got to the pinnacle of the structure. And then there's, looks to be towers uh, and there's ships uh, flying around it. Um, some sort of, you know, jets that look like quinjets, but not, not exactly. Uh, so it's a, it's a very odd landscape. Yeah, even, even the, the cliffs look weird, right? Like they have claws on them, you know, it's just... Uh... Mm -hmm. It's an odd-looking landscape. So, yeah, I agree. And then all of a sudden, the the guards that appeared human before now all of a sudden appear these to be kind of mutates, these monsters. I mean, they have large faces with blocky-type teeth and, and things protruding from their forehead. I wouldn't call them horns. They're just, you know, just... I don't know what to call them, but you know they're just weird-looking creatures, and they're and they're holding all these like futuristic laser-like pistols. Rah! Careless fool! Move, and we kill drill. You gets it? My own fault. Ignored the one golden rule: no competent tactician breaks. Never walk into anything without knowing the most likely outcome. And just as he says that, there is a needle that comes up behind his neck where he's, again, trapped and injects something into him. And he yells. And then we cut to the next page. And it's an interesting page. There's four panels. 
the first panel is black and then the bottom panel is a baby that's floating in some sort of green liquid but in between um we're we're slowly seeing the baby come into focus and i think it's from steve's perspective he's kind of groggily waking up but it starts as i said pitch black so tired sharon fell asleep on the couch again watching late night monster shows let me sleep in ah he awakens the super soldier serum is mighty indeed sharon turn off that tv not putting on the suit today not ever paid my dues Metabolized the sedative a good deal faster than expected. That voice. I know that voice. Though I do not think you'll be very glad for it. Just, just let me rest. Another hour? Either way, what you feel or do not feel, it will not so greatly affect the outcome. Please, Sharon, turn off that damn TV. But now awake, well, it will hurt, you understand. Heart beating at half rate. The dope. The dope the monsters gave me. That was, that was today? The monsters? Not a movie? The monsters were real. You can't know the joy I felt to see you follow the trail I left. I have so eagerly anticipating your arrival. And for some time, you are overconfident, Rogers. Made this all too easy. And we pull back and we see Cap laying in this bench table, right? That he's at a 45 degree angle and he's got something holding over his, his kneecaps. He's got uh, his arms held down in several different areas, his neck held down, and he's he's just, you know, a prisoner. But he's looking at this baby in this green floating test tube. That tube, pumping me full of dope. No, not into me. Taking blood from me. And then, and then we see something strange, Bob. There's like a a young girl with long black hair looking and watching, but she's smiling. Yeah. And she, she's peeking around like from behind a pillar or a wall or something. So yeah. Like she's not supposed to be there. Right. I would be lying to you. Had I won't feel some joy watching you writhe and you will writhe. Dear God. And we see this gigantic, device come down with a very long needle and it's not a thin needle it's a thick needle and it's red and it's hovering over steve's chest which by the way he's maskless and shirtless now he still has his his pants and his boots but they took off his shirt and his mask because i guess they need to do something and they wanted his chainmail off we should waste no time. And the next thing you know, that device takes that large needle and pumps it right into his chest plate. And it hits me. 
and he yells and he screams in agony. Not something we normally see Steve do. That is true. Yeah. And he says it, and it hits me. Synthesized with the human tone, the voice of the biofanatic Arnim Zola. And then we cut to this next page, and it's a little over half page splash of Cap being uh, with the with a needle into his chest, yelling, and then we see the full Arnim Zola. So this is one of the things we had on recently. We had on the show when Eric Larson was on um, as 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 our guest, uh, and check that out, episode one seventeen. Um, where he talked about splash pages and and he talked about the importance of having the re- the big reveal was always on the left page, right? So when you turn the page, you could see the big reveal because he didn't want it on the right page because then it gave things away. Um, so here's the big reveal of Arnim Zola. Now, there is no denying me. Now, you feel it. Feel the will of Zola. Now, for those who aren't familiar with, with Arnim Zola, Bob, can you describe him to the listeners? Well, yeah, I can give it I can give it a shot, Rick. He's a, he's a very odd being, uh, if you recall. So he is he's he's essentially mechanical, right? He has a, a mechanical body, but uh, Arnim Zola's consciousness is uh, is housed within this body that is uh it's gold and, and purple. So the, the arms and the legs are this uh, armored golden plate. Uh, and he's got a breastplate and, and purple gloves and purple boots. Um, and in the middle of his chest is uh, what looks like to be a like a like a, a video screen, right? Which shows Zola's face, or at least a, a computer generated uh, in a facsimile of Zola's face. And then uh, where the head would be, there is no head, right? There is uh, an electronic eyeball that provides, uh, you know, the the vision capability for this. Uh, this so goofy set. looking. It is. It is a little goofy looking. It is, but it also somewhat terrifying. Indeed, guts lurch, fire in my heart, pumped outward, nerves ignite. The dope can't numb it. Nothing can. Up my neck. And he screams for more. Hits the front of my head like a slug. Find the strength. Stand up. You always stand up. And then he manages the strength to break the bonds. And it's interesting that, you know, it zooms in on his his fist, his left fist, as he's pulling it up and it's breaking the bonds. But you see the various things that are stuck into his, his arm, his forearm. Uh, so that's just creepy right there. Yeah. No, they're almost organic, Rick. You yeah. Know, those, those things are like, almost, they're not mechanical. They're, they seem organic in some way. No, it's impossible. And he takes the, the spike out of his chest and he, Pushes the whole device into the face of Zola. Get up. Stay awake. Pain overload. Stay awake. And then those mutates, those monsters that we saw before, they come running. I tried to tell. Why leave his body with arms? 
That's a good point. No, could have just chopped off the arms. Muscles don't respond. Asleep from the dope. Pushed through the mud. And he runs over and he grabs his shield and his his mask and his uh, his shirt with the chain mail. Get out. Get away from here. Stop him! Focus. One shot before they rush. And he throws the shield and it breaks through a lot of containers, which allows a lot of gas to come out. Down, fools! And then it bounces back after hitting all the different tubes. And it comes back to his hand. Tough angle. Earned that one. I'll self-congratulate later. Now, the hard part. Then he rushes by that green tube we saw earlier. And he grabs the shield while they're stunned. And then it all collapses behind him with a big noise. Uh, and then he jumps out of a windshield. And that whole thing about Rick Remender saying before about, you know, he jumps out of glass or, you know, there it is. He does. He breaks through the glass and he uses his shield to break the fall. And it's several stories. I've had some practice, but it's a lucky fall. Oof. And then we hear, and then we see Cap running towards uh, some sort of ship, some sort of spaceship or something to try to get away. He, he killed him. Killed my boy. Decades designing him. Gone. And what's he referring to, Bob? He's referring to the that um, test tube test with the baby. baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shattered test tube. But then that little girl shows up. My perfect son. He killed your baby brother, dear Jet. Papa? I only wanted the super soldier serum for you both. And now my boy is dead. And then he sends out uh, some sort of mental message to all of his, the monsters. Listen to me, mutates of Zolandia. I want Captain America brought to me alive and unharmed. And his eyes rage red. He will live to suffer beyond imagining. And then we cut to the ship that Steve broke into and he's flying away and there's other ships, smaller ships in pursuit. Fireworks, tunnel vision, blacking out, lean the yoke, lose them before, before I, and then he must hit the igniter button because next thing you know, the afterburners kick in and make a loud noise, Bob. And then this next panel is fun because his head snaps back and you see his eyes go wide. And he's grit gritting his teeth as, as the, you know, the, the jet is obviously going incredibly fast. Can't get, no, pull back, pull and he crashes through whatever the next barrier is. And 
it damages the jet, but he makes his escape and goes out into the the wilderness uh, of this strange landscape as the the plane crashes and bounces and then screeches to a halt. And next thing you know, he pops out unharmed, wailing in my ear. But but what's that wailing? It's a it's a baby crying, Bob. And he looks and what's been cuddled in his inside of his shield this whole time. It's a baby. And he says, Thank God. Thank God the boy made it. You're okay. Everything's gonna be fine. He 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 took Zola's baby from the test tube when he when he broke it. His perfect son. And then he looks up at the sky and he says, "Just fine." And there are some weird things with wings flying overhead. Wow! What? How about that for a first issue? Yeah, I didn't see that coming. What you? What were your thoughts? What was your initial thoughts after reading it this time, Bob? After reading it this time, um, well, I mean, it's still too early, Rick, right? Um, but my my, if I'm I'm putting with my eyes on, I'm just reading this for the first time. I'm like, this is crazy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he gets on the subway car, mm-hmm. he ends up in a completely alien uh, reality. Mm-hmm. Zola's there. Zola's got two kids. He actually seems to show some affection for the little girl. He's got his arm around her. He's he's lamenting the loss of his son, who he clearly designed. He is the biofanatic. Mm-hmm. Steve escapes and takes the baby. Like, where the heck is this going? Yeah. And then, of course, in addition to all that, he's now in some sort of strange landscape. And how does one escape from that especially when he has to worry about a baby right you ever, i mean do you, re- you ever read lone wolf and cub i have not you ever heard of it i have not okay it's a japanese comic maybe it's a manga i'm not sure um it was from decades ago where um i can't remember the name of of the creator um, but it was a, a series about this Ronin fallen samurai. I'm not, I can't recall, but he had a baby and he basically was on the run traveling um, with this baby. Uh, so it's a classic story. It's been around for decades and decades. Um, in fact, there was a, a comic that was created, American comic that was created, that was turned into a movie with Tom Hanks, um, where he played a man on the run with a baby. I I do not know that one. I know he, well, he was in Three Men and a Baby, right? Was that him? That wasn't him. That, was, that wasn't that was Tom. Gutenberg, not Tom right? Hanks. Yeah. I don't know. I, I uh... I think that also sets the stage for the story that comes next, that we know comes next. And he he does a, a, a really nice job 
of of laying those things down, which will make the coming stories be that much more challenging because of those reasons. Right. Yeah. All right, Bob. So we need to get into favorite panel, t-shirt worthy and time capsule. And I want to say I go first this time. Uh, I think you went first last time on favorite panel. I did. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to go with page 18. And I'm going to go with panel number five. And which one is that, you might say? That's the one where his head whips back when the jet's going so supersonic fast. And his head just whips back. And it's it's just a panel I've, I've never seen Cap in this situation before. And it's an interesting take on his reaction to... The, the extreme situation that he's in and, you know, he's grimacing, but he's also the, you know, a victim of uh, inertia and, and so on. It's just a cool panel. I, that's my favorite panel. It's a good choice. I, I, uh, I like that panel. I, I'm going to go in a different direction. Uh, page nine, I think. And it's okay. uh, right, right after Steve has wrapped up his uh, escapade with the green skull and turned him over to law enforcement. And mm-hmm. he goes to meet Sharon in that alley. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he goes in for uh, the kiss. Right. Mm-hmm. The next panel, it's uh, it's about a three quarter body shot of both Sharon and Steve. And when mm-hmm. she uh, accuses him of attempting sexual innuendo, I love that panel. You know, they're both getting ready to push those buttons and and switch into their civilian clothes. But uh, I like the way that, you know, he's he's kind of got a, gr- a grin on his face and he's looking at her and she's kind of smirking at him. And uh, they look just like a couple. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like that. that too. I, the energy in that that panel is is pretty cool. And she's leaning into him. Yeah, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, that that playful kind of bump. You know, yeah, I like that too. Yeah, right. Very well rendered by by uh, John Romita Jr. Here. Absolutely. All right. What's uh? What do you think is t-shirt worthy, Bob? Ooh, you know, I'm gonna go. Uh, I think it is. Oh, let me see here. Well, maybe page five, I think. Uh, and it, it's it's the panel where you know after Steve has has jumped into the aircraft, the B fifty two Flying Fortress, right? Mm-hmm. The Green Skull has shot his his co pilot with uh, the Good Green, mm-hmm. uh, the Omega Fertilizer, and it's that center panel that stretches across uh, stretches across the page where Steve is in the pilot's chair he's got his right mm-hmm. hand on the helm and his with his left hand he reaches out uh with the shield on it and basically uh pushes uh the um the whoever this guy is now he's got branches growing out of his body right mm-hmm. he doesn't even look at him it reminds me of that scene from you know the marvel universe where hulk and the thor are walking along and hulk just punches out to the side yeah. of him and yeah yeah Thor, right it has that, that sort of vibe to it i i, I mm-hmm. love this i could see this on a t-shirt a cap just folk singularly focused on flying the plane to prevent it from crashing into the city not even really paying attention where the bad guys are but still manages to dispatch them mm-hmm. yeah no i like that too i think that's a good one um 
if so for me, t-shirt worthy, I'm going to go with um, Steve's dad slapping his mom. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's a bad one. That's not even a, that's not even a good joke. Sorry. Um, I'm just going for shock value there. Uh, I I don't know. I, I'm probably going to go with the cover. I'm going to go with the cover. It's an interesting, uh, different version of Captain America. I think I've said before, he's kind of an awkward position. Um, but I, I think that's kind of a, a, a cool thing to slap on a T-shirt. That's yeah, a good choice. I think uh, you can't go wrong with that uh, that that image for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, Rick. Uh, so lastly, what what's going in your time capsule? Well, I think I am going to go back to the scene with the dad and the mom um probably going to go i mean i don't know if i can use the whole page that first page you know because you have the tenement and and the city uh you know the streets you know it's 1926 obviously that that that's very much uh a, you know a cheat way to to throw a time capsule but i think the part where he says um, the foreman hates Irish. Um, because that was a thing. That actually was a thing. Um, you know, the Irish uh were need not apply. The Irish yeah. need not apply. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're very low on the totem pole back back in the uh, that time period, and um, so I think that's something that really speaks to uh the the period of of, of this. So that would go in my my time capsule. How about you? Excellent, excellent choice. I'm I'm gonna go with uh, the Green Skulls B-52. So that particular airframe uh, was introduced uh, in 1952. Uh, had its uh, first, uh, you know, uh, first flight was actually 52. It, it entered active service in 55, and I think they produced them almost to the end of the 1960s. So that was, you know, the B-52 Stratofortress was one of the most important aircraft in the U.S. Air Force. But it? it had it had been phased out by uh, by the 1970s and eventually mm -hmm. replaced by you know the B1. So um, so it's interesting to me that uh, you know you can go down. There's an aircraft graveyard, one in uh, outside of uh, Luke Air Force Base in, in Arizona, another one up in up in New Mexico, where you you can see these things lined up, uh, basically not rusting because it's it's so dry in that climate, mm -hmm. which is why they're there. But at one time, this was a preeminent aircraft. And now uh, this one apparently has entered the service of this uh, ne'er-do-well green skull. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but again, it's, you know, it's a it's a it's a throwback to a different era of aircraft. And so I'm putting that one in my time capsule. It's a big time capsule, but this one's going in it. Oh, well, thanks for the history lesson there. Well, that was a lot of fun. So I would say, you know, for those who sometimes they find the this podcast way down the line they go back and they listen to all these episodes um so if you're one of those people and these episodes have already come out make sure you come back go now just immediately go to episode 126 because that's when we're going to cover castaway in dimension z part two um so we'll we'll cover that in in basically four weeks from now in episode 126 so make sure to come back for that. And of course, make sure to come back next episode where we do the top 10 Captain America romantic love interests. 
That Ooh, should la, be a la. lot of fun. Yeah. Yes. All right, Bob. As always, it's been fun wrapping cap with you. Uh, it has. I can't wait till next week, Rick. All right. He's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbanis, and you have been listening to another episode of the Captain America comic book band. <laughs> Thank you.